Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah, chapter 17. Next week, I'm going to start a series all the way through every word, every verse, all the way through 2 Timothy. And that I'm not going to do the whole series next week. I'm just starting the series next week. And I hope you can join me every week that you're able to. I look forward. 2 Timothy is a very relevant book for our generation, and I hope you can join me each week. I'll look at just two verses next week, but I mean, we're going to try to unpack it like that and really ask God to teach us. And uh, Andy says something about the pre-registration for Kids Life. We'll just, we'll just have what, you know, as, as we get volunteers. By the way, if you are interested in volunteering, you'll have to go to the Kids Life Center. We need teachers and, and, get, and helpers and people who will clean between services. But we do screen everybody who uh, is back there. We take that really seriously. So you'll need to do that today so they can help you. And the registration is every week for the next week. It starts at noon for the next week. That's, that's how we'll do it because we're going to, unfortunately, just have to limit numbers the way we'll have to do it for a time. Well, open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17. We're going to read there beginning with verse 5 on the subject, who do I trust? Let's read together. The Bible says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. He will be like a juniper in the Araba. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land where no one lives. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is, is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. He who makes a fortune unjustly is like a partridge that hatches eggs it didn't lay. In the middle of his life, his riches will abandon him. So in the end, he will be a fool. A glorious throne on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, the hope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away from me will be written in the dirt, for they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Well, I'm going to talk with you this morning on who do I trust. And you may have noticed verse 5 starts by saying, this is what the Lord says. Now, you need something more than my opinion or your opinion. We need God's opinion. We need what God says. And so God shows us what he wants for us, and he talks to us about why we can trust him. And so I'm going to encourage you, whether you're watching online or in person, would you just take some notes as we go along? And I want to mention three reasons we trust the Lord, why we ought to trust the Lord, and who he is so that we would trust him. Let's note these principles together and kind of unpack it as we go. Number one, would you note, we trust the Lord, uh, trust uh, the, the life giver. We trust the life giver. And verse 13, the end of verse 13 says, they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. One of the reasons we have to trust the Lord is because he gives life. And I'm going to talk with you for a few moments about the difference between what I'll call the empty life and the abundant life. And there is a difference in the two. So if you're writing, taking notes, just write under this principle of trust the life giver, write the empty life. And I'm going to talk about what the empty life looks like, what that means, and it's noted here in verse 5. The Bible says, cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. So if you're trusting people, I mean, that's where your, place, your, your faith is placed in people, whoever that would be. The Bible says that's a terrible, 
place to put your trust. The Bible says he makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. It's when we say, I don't need God. We don't say that out loud. But in effect, we say it by saying, I'm going to trust myself and my strength and my abilities and my talents. Here's the danger. Some of you are really hard chargers and you're really talented and you're really gifted and you've done some great things. And so you begin to think that you don't need God or you don't need him very much. Maybe on rare occasions you need God. And the Bible says when we think that way, we're we are headed to the empty life, the empty life instead of the abundant life. The Bible says in verse 6, he will be like a juniper in the Arabah. It's a scrawny tree trying to grow in the desert. He cannot see when good comes. The empty life can't see the good things that God has for them, the better purposes and plans God has, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land where no one lives. So here's what I want you to know. Many believers, and I'm not talking about lost people. I'm not talking about lost people. Many believers are living dry, living dry empty, unproductive lives. Many believers are living dry, empty, unproductive lives. Now, I'm not talking about lost people here. Lost people are certainly missing God's plan and purpose for their life. Lost people are separated from God by sin, the Bible says. Lost people are missing all that God created them to be. But I'm saying believers who have tasted that God is good, who know something of God's grace, who have experienced forgiveness of sins and adoption into God's family, instead of having the abundant life God wants them to have, many believers are living the empty life. They are living dry, empty, unproductive lives. They are like the juniper in the desert, squeaking by alive, but living a parched life, living an empty life, living an unproductive life. So not far from us are lots of orchards. You know, we've got lots of orchards in this general area. And within just a few miles of where I live, there are several really big orchards in that area. And so I've planted at my home, I planted several fruit trees. And, you know, they've done, some of them have done okay, but not, I, don't, I don't have a lot of fruit on them. And I don't know much about fruit trees. I don't care to learn a lot about fruit trees, just to be honest. And even if I did, every time a little peach or apple just, get a little, just begins to grow, uh, squirrels climb those trees and just cut them all down for whatever reason. I, I have in my soul some bitterness towards squirrels. I'll just tell you, some, there's some just animosity deep inside me towards squirrels. They're a vicious little animals. So I just, I, quite frankly, I don't care that deeply about them. I don't, about, I mean, I, of course I don't care about squirrels, but I mean, I don't care deeply about my fruit trees. I mean, I'd like to have fruit. It'd be great, but I don't care enough to learn more. I don't know much about them. I don't care to learn a lot. I don't care to find out more about them. But just down the road, there's some orchards, and those things, man, they are unbelievably productive. They know everything that needs to be done in order to have a productive tree, and they do those things. I don't know, they, I don't know what they do with squirrels, but somehow they've overcome that problem as well. And there's peaches, and there's apples, and that's the way an orchard is supposed to be. But may I say, many Christians, many Many believers, I'm not talking about lost people, I'm talking about believers, people who name the name of Jesus, are living dry, empty, unproductive lives. And they either don't know what God wants to have an abundant life, or they just don't care enough to know. 
And so there's an emptiness. I'm, I'm, I suspect there are people in this room who know Jesus Christ as Savior, but your life is dry and empty, spiritually speaking. It's unproductive. There's no fruit in your life. You're not living the kind of life God wants you to live, though you found forgiveness of sins and the hope that comes with that, though you found an adoption by God into, into God's family and the promise of eternal life one day. It's an empty life. And I want to talk with you about a different plan God has for you, the abundant life, the abundant life. Let's go to verse 7. So I said you can have the empty life or the abundant life. Let's look at the abundant life. Verse 7 says, the person who trusts in the Lord, that's where the abundant life is found. The person who trusts in the Lord, they're not trusting themselves. They're not trusting their abilities and talents. They're trusting the Lord. Whose confidence, verse 7 says, whose confidence indeed is the Lord. Their confidence is not in themselves. It's not in people. It's not in programs. It's in the Lord himself. The Bible says the person who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, that person, the Bible says in verse 7, is blessed. Now, one prayer almost every believer prays is, bless me, Lord. Almost every believer would pray this. And it's a fine prayer to pray. Bless me, Lord. But we divorce God's blessing from God's purpose and plan. And so the Lord is saying, if you want my blessings, don't you want God's blessings? It's not found in saying, you know what I've decided to do, God? I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to put my confidence in me. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then I'm just going to ask you to bless. But God's blessing comes when we put our confidence and trust in him and our faith in him. And that is the source of God's blessings. You want God's blessings in life? Of course you do. God is willing to offer those to you, but it comes in trusting him. And God's way is always the way that leads to blessing. It's not always the easy way. It's not always the smooth way. It's not even always the popular way. And can I tell you, it's not always the safe way, but it's always the way of God's blessing. Notice what the Bible says then in verse 8. He will be this person who has the abundant life. He will be like a tree planted by water. He's not like the juniper in the desert. He's like a tree planted by water, not dry and shriveled and barely making it. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. It's not living in fear. That's a good thing not to live in fear. The Bible tells us we don't have to live in fear. I hate that so many young people are growing up in, a, in an atmosphere of fear about everything. The Bible says that person doesn't live in fear when heat comes. Notice it says when heat comes. In this broken world, problems come. It gets hot. It gets dry. But we don't have to live in fear in this, in this uh, fallen world. And its foliage remains green. Verse 8 says, it will not worry... Any of you warriors? I mean, not W-A, warriors. Warriors. You worry about whether you're worrying enough? Well, the Bible says it will not worry in a year of drought. Notice the drought comes even to the tree planted by the water. The drought, the difficulties of this life still come to us, whether you have the empty life or the abundant life. There are still problems. It's still a fallen world. It's still a broken world. And we live in this world until the end of time. One day there'll be no more sorrow, sickness, and death, but we live in this world. And even though those problems come, heat comes, drought comes, the Bible says it will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. God can give you an abundant life even in this broken, fallen world. God can give you a life worth living, not a dry life, not an empty life that many believers are living, but an abundant life. God want, listen, God wants you to have that orchard in life. He made you to produce fruit. 
But maybe like me, you just, you just haven't learned enough about what that means. You haven't cared enough to understand. And you've been trusting yourself instead of God. And God's got something so much better for you. The abundant life is the way to God's blessing. And yet many believers are living this dry, empty life. And God's got something so much greater. I, I want you to see. I want you to trust the life giver. God wants you to have life. Not just heaven one day. As great as that is, eternal life but he wants you to have abundant life. Now, there's a second principle I'd like you to write down. Would you write in your notes, trust the heart tester. Trust the heart tester. The Bible tells us the Lord tests the heart. Some years ago, we were building a building, and and, uh, the bank required that I get a life insurance policy for the church. And when I did that, some people started uh, praying for me differently. People who had previously prayed for my health began to say, God, keep him healthy or let him die. Either way, it's fine with us. Whichever way, we don't care. Either way, it's fine. I lost my prayer support. But um, I had to do, in connection with this life insurance policy, I had to do a physical. And one of the things they did was to do an EKG, the test for your heart. And I don't really understand it all, but they do this test, and they find out What's going on? If you have a heart, first of all, and if you do, what's going on? Is it beating well? Is it, you know, is it working properly? Is everything flowing okay? And that's what they did, and I passed it enough that I got that insurance policy for the church. Well, the Bible says the Lord tests our heart, and I'm going to give you some advice that will be a hundred percent, 180 degrees opposite of what the culture says. I mean, just the opposite of what the culture is going to say. So would you write this in your notes? Because I don't know you're going to hear this. You're going to hear the very opposite of this almost everywhere else you go. Every movies and music and friends and... Would you just write these words? Just write in your notes. Just write them right in your notes. Don't trust your heart. Doesn't that sound countercultural? Have you heard anything different than that? The world says all the time, trust your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. And the Lord says in verse 9, this is not my words. Remember, this is what the Lord says, verse 5. Now let's go to verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. That's why we don't trust the heart. The heart's deceitful. We can't trust our heart. We can't trust our heart. It's more deceitful than anything else. It's incurable, verse 9 says. We can't even fix it. It's so messed up. And who can understand it? Other people can't understand it. You can't even understand it. That's the problem with the heart. We don't trust our heart. Many people say, follow your heart. It's terrible advice. Don't live your life by feelings. Someone ought to say that to you. Don't live your life by feelings. Feelings are in and of themselves neither good nor bad. They can be helpful or harmful. But don't base your life on feelings. Feelings can be affected by so many things. Your heart is deceitful. And you can deceive yourself and end up feeling like this is something you ought to do. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I know what God says, but... My feelings are like this, and so I'm going to follow my feelings. And the Lord is saying, don't trust your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't live by feelings. Don't live by comfort. The goal of life is not what is the most comfortable way. What's the safest way to live? Don't live by popularity. What's the most popular way? Don't live by instinct. Your instinct can be good or bad. The more you follow the Lord, the more you tend to have an instinct that follows God. But the Bible says the heart is 
more deceitful than, than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? The danger is that our instincts, what we call our instincts, can be we, are, we want to do what we want to do instead of what God wants, and we end up following our way instead of God's way. So the Bible says, don't trust your heart. Now, here's what I want you to do. Write the second part to the principle. God tells us the truth. So if we don't trust our heart, what do we trust? The truth. God wants us to know the truth. He tells us the truth. Let's go to the text in verse 10. I, the Lord, examine the mind. God knows your thoughts. He's looking at your, he wants, he wants to connect with you at the deepest level, and he examines your mind. He says, I test the heart. God knows your motives. He doesn't just tell us to do the right thing, but to do the right thing for the right reasons. He judges accurately. The Bible says in verse 10, to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. God is a just and holy God. The Bible tells us then in verse uh, 11, not to trust riches. In verse 12 and 13, it tells us the truth about his power. We ought to trust the Lord because of his greatness, because of his glorious throne on high from the very beginning. And so we trust the Lord. We're not put to shame when we trust the Lord. And we're to follow him because he is the fountain of living water. God tells us the truth. Now, we don't always like the truth, but we need the truth. We don't always want the truth, but we need the truth. So the Lord tells us the truth because the Lord wants us to do the right thing, go the right way, follow the right direction. And so, but we don't always want the truth, quite frankly. We want what makes us feel good. We want what makes us feel good. So you say, man, I mean, I'd, I'd really like... I'd really like the sermon to make me feel better. And I'd really like that life group lesson to make me feel good. That's what I really want. And really, church ought to be primarily about my feelings. That's what it ought to be about. And the Lord says, no, I love you too much for that. I want you to know the truth. And so he, verse 5 says, this is what the Lord says. He wants you to know the truth. So let's imagine you go to a cardiologist for some reason. You've got some health problem. Maybe your heart's not acting right. Or maybe you've got a history of heart problems in your family. And so you go to a cardiologist. And he does all the tests. Do you want the cardiologist to come back and say, you know what, you're, I want to make you feel good. Your heart is so spectacular. So you, know, you never have to come back to see me ever again. Just eat all the ice cream you want to eat, fried food, have at it, obesity, don't worry about that. Just do whatever you want. I want you to feel good. But what if the truth is there's this little blockage in one of the veins or arteries. I don't remember how that works exactly. And, and there's this little blockage. And it's going to cause, if you don't do something about it, it's going to be really bad for you. And so he knows that if you'll take the right medicine or maybe he has some you know, little balloon thing and he can fix that and you'll be okay. Do you want him to tell you the truth or do you just want to feel good? And can I tell you, many have said, you know what, I want God. I just want to feel good. And the Lord says, I love you too much for that. I'm going to tell you the truth. 
Because the truth is what empowers you. The truth is what strengthens you. The truth is what sets you free. The truth is what leads you to repentance. The truth is what leads you to the change you need. The truth is what you build a foundation upon. You need the truth. I love you too much just to base it on how you feel. Just follow your heart. He says, I want you to know the truth and build on that. Trust the heart tester. Now, there's a third principle I'd like you to know about trust, and that is trust the great healer. One of, the, one of the great things about the Lord is He is the great physician. He's the great physician. And He is the great healer. And so let me talk with you about what it means to trust the great healer. Three things I'd like you to write down in your notes below this. Number one, write the broken need healing. The broken need healing. Let's go to verse 14. The Bible says, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Jeremiah says, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. He goes to the great healer because he knows the great healer can heal him, and because, and because he recognizes that he needs healing. So he says, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. I need healing, he's saying. I am broken, and you can fix it. The broken need healing. So we, in this room, watching online, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our classmates, we are the broken. This world is broken. And we need healing. We might not see it. We might not recognize it. We might not like to admit it. But we are broken and we need healing. We are the ones who need healing. And he is the one who does the healing. So imagine for a moment you get a, an injury. Just a, just a cut that needs stitches. For you that's no big deal. Now if I have anything. If it's a paper cut for me. It's a serious, serious injury. But if it's you. You know what do I care. You just got some. You know you just needs stitches. So for me, any kind of medical problem is a catastrophe, but for you, you know, it's no big deal. You just need some stitches. And you're bleeding. And you need someone to stitch you up. And you come to me and you say, I need you to stitch me up. And I'd say, I am not going, I don't, I'm, I don't know how to do that. And the sight of your blood makes me sort of sick. And the only thing worse than the side of your blood is the side of my blood. I'll just tell you that. That's the worst one. But I am just get kind of sick just seeing the thinking about your blood. By the way, don't tell me stories about your stitches later. I don't want to hear your stories about it. I don't want to know how much blood you lost. I don't know how many stitches. I don't want to know stories about terrible wounds. I just don't like those things that much. And the only thing worse than you having some terrible story like that is for me to have some terrible story. That would be even worse. But let's imagine you've got some big cut. You gashed your arm some way and you've got, you're bleeding and you come and you need stitches. I don't know how to, I'm not a very good, I mean, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not very good. I'd get a Band-Aid maybe, you know, and have you stick it together and tape it on there or something. Maybe some masking tape back in the back, some duct tape ought to work on that. Just don't take it off too soon. Make sure it's fully healed before you take that duct tape off. But nonetheless, whatever. But I've got a brother who's a medical doctor. He went to medical school. He read books. He's, um, he's done lots of stitches in his life. Now he can help you. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I, I'm worried about my own wounds. Well, God in heaven is the healer. Many people are going to the wrong place for their brokenness. So they say, you know, 
I got, I'm broken, my family's broken, my past is broken, I grew up in a dysfunctional family, I have a, this brokenness in my past, I made some terrible decisions, I had some mistakes, people wronged me or hurt me, I've just got this brokenness, so I need to get healed. I'm going to find somebody. Boy, if I could just find the right person. If I could find the right person, they'll heal me. And you find this person, and you find out in that relationship that they're broken too. Their family wasn't exactly the model of functionality, perhaps. And, and they have their own sins and issues. And they have their own blind spots and weaknesses. And they're broken, too. And so you thought they were going to do the healing for you. Let me, can I tell you something? There's nobody in all the world who can bring healing to you. The healing that your broken, wounded, bleeding body, spirit, soul needs, save the Lord Jesus himself. He's the one who can bring healing to you. And too many people are looking in the wrong places and they say, if I could find the right relationship, if I could find the right pleasure, if I could find the right job, if I could just have this success in this field, and there's still the emptiness and the brokenness because they're looking in the wrong places. Trust the Lord, the broken need healing. The great healer is great at healing. He's the only one. Humpty Dumpty couldn't put himself together. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't do it. He, he needed something else. The Bible tells us the Lord is the only one who can bring the healing that our soul needs. Secondly, would you know, the lost need saving. The lost need saving. Verse 14 says, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. Now, this is a foreshadowing of what's going to take place in the New Testament where we see the full sufficient salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we are lost without Christ. We're not just like, you know, a little small problem. We are lost, dead in our trespasses and sins, to use Bible language. And we need to be saved, not reformed, not self-improved, not to try a little harder, not to do better. We need what only the great physician can provide. We are lost and we need to be saved. We are dead and we need life. We need to be, the words of Jesus, born again because Jesus paid the price that was my sin. Jesus went to the cross to take my place. Jesus rose from the grave to conquer death and sin and hell. So the Bible says, if I will recognize my lostness, my need for Christ, and some of you are here and you're lost, you don't know Christ as Savior, you've tried religion, it'll never be enough. You've tried self-improvement, you'll never be able to self-improve to perfection, you'll never get there. You've said, I can do this on my own, you'll never be able to. The point of the gospel is you cannot do it on your own. You need what only Jesus, only the great healer can provide the salvation you need. And in a few moments when we pray, perhaps there are some of you today who would say, I want to be saved. I want to turn from, from myself and sin to Christ. I'm not going to just try to be a little bit. I'll try harder, do better. I'm going to give my life to Christ and he'll save you. The lost needs saving. And thirdly note, the soul needs to praise. Verse 14 says, heal me, Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me and I will be saved for you are my praise. You are my praise. You were made for worship. And can I tell you, you will worship something. The right something or the wrong something. You will, you'll worship. You'll worship self. Many people are worshiping themselves. You make a terrible God, but you may well find yourself worshiping yourself, or you'll worship pleasure, or you'll worship money, or you'll worship the earth, 
or you'll worship science, or you'll worship your career, or a thousand other things, but you're going to find yourself worshiping something or someone because your soul needs the praise. But only the Lord can bring the healing to that soul. And so Jeremiah said, you are my praise. You are the only one worthy of my worship. And I'm going to worship you, not myself, not my wants, not my feelings, not my emotions. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to trust myself. I'm not going to trust my heart. I'm not going to trust my abilities or talents. I'm going to trust you because you are the life giver. You are the heart tester. You are the great healer. This is what the Lord says. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. And as we pray, if you're here and you need to be saved, today you could give your life to Christ. Perhaps you'd like to pray a prayer giving your life to Christ, repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Jesus and trusting him as Savior. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now saying words, the danger with this is you can say words that you're not really, that aren't really coming from the depths of your heart and that won't change anything. But if today you're willing to give your life to Christ and you want to be saved, you could pray a prayer like this. Just, just say this to, to God, from your heart to God's heart. God, I know I have sinned against you. Just tell him that. He knows that. Tell him that. God, I've sinned against you. And I am broken by that sin. And I am separated from you by that sin. And I need you. But I believe you died on the cross for me. You took my sins on the cross. You took my place on the cross. And I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you can save me. So here and now, I turn from my sin. I repent. I place my trust in you. And I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, he'll save you. And it's just the start, but it's a, it's a great start. And Christ will save you. And I'd love to hear about it if you've given your life to Christ. Come see us at Connection Point or fill out that information in the paper in front of you or online. And we'd love to rejoice with you. We want you to get started well. We'll help you get a good start in your faith and following the Lord and his purpose and plan. God will save you. Now, Christian, I'm going to say just a word to you. I said earlier the difference of the empty life and the abundant life. And I said many Christians are living dry, empty, unproductive lives. And when I said that, some of you resonated with that in your own heart. And you know God wants more from you. You know God has the abundant life. Won't you say to him, God, I, I don't want the empty life. I want to waste my time, be unproductive, miss all that you save me for. Lord, would you help me to have the abundant life? The blessing that comes with following you, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's unpopular. But Lord, I want to follow your way because it's you. I want to place my trust not in me, not in my talents, not in my abilities. Not, I want to place my trust in you, and I'm going to follow you. And God will bless that. He'll, he'll honor a prayer like that. Father, I thank you for your word. Right here in the middle of Jeremiah, you speak to us. You remind us that you are trustworthy. And so many of the things we place our trust in are so misplaced, so unworthy of our worship and praise. But we know our own heart. We know the tendency we have to go our way, to make, to make our feelings what we, what we want, to chase the wrong dreams and visions, to live life more like what the culture wants than what Christ wants. And so, Lord, today would you do a work in us so that we place our trust in you and we follow you because you are the life giver. You are the heart tester. 
and you are the great healer. And we trust you because of those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.